Longbox Crusade presents Monthly Monday Movie Muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Merck Presents, and I am a movie lover. I've got a very big collection of movies, and I really am often surprised when I run into someone who has not seen a movie that I call a classic or a great film or just something that they should have seen. To rectify this, I sit down with people, make them watch a movie, and then we talk about their thoughts and impressions about it. And in order for me to do all of this fun stuff, I've got to have somebody to talk about with a movie. Well, I found somebody. He was wandering around the halls of my podcast, just posting random comments and looking for us to name him with a moniker that he could take to other places. It was Tim Price, the Podcrasher. How you doing, Tim? I'm doing great, not Jeff. Thanks for having <laughs> me on your show. It is my pleasure. You have been a follower of our other show, Unpacking the Power Power Pack, for a long time. And you've been on one episode. I think uh, we're going to get you on another one pretty soon. I'm not sure when everything's oh, going to be are. coming out. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. We've done other things. I've named you Mephisto. <laughs> <laughs> you, you did. You, you gave did. me a new career. I gave you a new that career. I, I'm pretty sure was not listed in my yearbook from high school. No. I was like, I'm no. pretty sure that was not that's shown up anywhere in that. May one day be cast as Mephisto. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm set for life. I could have all the Mephisto gigs that don't pay any money that I want. You're just waiting for that sulfur money to come on in, you know, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's good bank right there. Yeah. That's that's great bank. Are you actually are on a podcast yourself now, aren't you? I, I am on a podcast. I am on the Cassandra Kane Batgirl podcast with Ashford Wright of the Right On Network. There you go. See, it, it did come to something then. <laughs> it did. It did. I'm I'm now regularly pod crashing his show. <laughs> well, I am glad that you crashed into our show because, you know, on here I find somebody who I enjoy talking to, or I have never talked to before, but I've talked to you many times. And I bring them a movie that they are going to watch. Are you ready for your movie, sir? Well, let me see. I've, I've, got, I've got my comfy chair. I am ready. Then here we go. I would like you to watch Labyrinth from 1986. Woo! Oh, man. This is the fantasy musical that is directed by Jim Henson. Yes, Jim Henson from The Muppets. And it stars David Bowie as the Goblin King and Jennifer Connelly as Sarah. Very young Jennifer Connelly and a very David Bowie, David Bowie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a fantastic movie that I have loved for a long time. And I am kind of surprised that you have never seen it just because... I know you've got two daughters, and I know that you are, you're a good family man, and just kind of knowing what I know about you, it just surprises me that this has not crossed your radar. To start off with, what do you know about this movie? I know that it is a movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do, I do remember very clearly when it came out, and I do remember seeing plenty of the trailers and things. It just somehow... I just not get it. Did not did not fa find the time to go see it when it was out. It just slipped by. But it's like, no, I love me some Jim Henson. I've watched the original Dark Crystal. I don't know how many times. So I've watched that to death. You've seen the Muppets many times, right? I've seen the Muppets. Oh, I could. I've had the Muppet the Muppet movie album. I could sing along with the you know, moving right along. Da -da -dum, da -da -dum. So I you know I got all that going on, um, big time. So it's. I can't, I can't explain it. It's just one of those things where you probably had to like be in the moment or have the right mood to make the jump. It's just, yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. And I just do not have the time 
ever since my girls came along to watch as many movies as I used to. True. And they're not movie seekers themselves, so it's kind of one of those things. You know, they're in that generation which, like, maybe, and maybe Carrie is not like this, which, I know, God bless you, Carrie's not like this. My girls, if it was longer than half an hour, that was that was long enough, and they were done. <laughs> so it's like not really the getting them into the movie thing too much until uh-huh. the last few years. Now they're really starting to get into it more. It just hasn't come come about. So I just somehow it just slipped through the cracks. So yeah, I'm I'm, all, I'm excited now. That's a good choice. I'm excited. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I think that you've got at least two, maybe three fellow uh, people that you can watch the movie with, and that would be the three other women in your house. Because I think that this mm-hmm. is a good movie that they will enjoy, but. I'm not going to talk anymore about it now because this is your chance to be spoiled by the movie. So what we're going to do is we are going to walk away from our microphones. We are going to grab our families. We're going to sit down. We're going to watch this. Then we're going to come back after this commercial break to talk about the movie. So see you on the other side of the commercial, sir. TriStar Pictures announces the collaboration of three extraordinary talents. Jim Henson, creator of The Muppets and Dark Crystal. Ah! Here you go with a head like that. George Lucas, creator of the Star Wars saga. And one of the most innovative forces in modern entertainment, David Bowie. (laughs) Together, they will take you into a dazzling world of fantasy and adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. A world where anything seems possible, and nothing is what it seems. Everything I've done, I've done for you. I move the stars for no one. And we are back. We've had an opportunity to step away, watch the movie with our families, and now we're back to talk about it. But before we do, for those of you that have not seen the film, first, shame on you, and second, let me give you just a little bit of a feature presentation with my quick synopsis of the film. A teenage girl who is obsessed with fantasy and sick of babysitting her brother on a weekend night accidentally calls upon the Goblin King to take away the screaming child. In an attempt to save the kid, she agrees to travel to the Goblin King's world and complete his dangerous and confusing labyrinth. Along the way, Sarah befriends a small band of local residents as they battle through the confusing and not fair world of labyrinth. Not fair. Like I said, a short little synopsis, because really this is a fast movie. It, it goes by pretty quickly. There's not too much here. Before we get really deep into the weeds on it, I want your first impressions here. First, Rhea, what was your first impression of this film as you were watching it? Well, first off, I'll back up a step and say, like, you you, you just you just shamed me for having not seen it before. And the whole premise is that I haven't seen the movie before. So thanks for that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on, uh, the... Impression first of off was like we we're seeing just you know the scenes of young Sarah at acting out her own fantasies and trying to remember her mm-hmm. lines from a book and not being able, and having some trouble with that and having to deal with a family that's like oh doesn't understand her because teenagers and wants her to babysit Thanks. the 
the infant <laughs> so that the parents can go out because everything is just wrong with the world. And it's like, oh yeah, well that's just it's it was it was a notched up a little bit on the teenage angst, but you know. I was I was still fine with it. It's like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's perfectly believable. It also was like this great sense of this being a movie from the 80s, even just from the soundtrack alone. It's like all this synthesizer soundtrack is going on there. <laughs> You're just hearing it all over the place and it's it's ever present and dramatic. But it's like, no, I was in. I was just in all the way and feeling feeling the the vibe from it it's like i was able to just like enjoy that for what it was and so i was really just digging into it as we get into the first parts of and the first hints of what the story is really going to turn into of sarah talking to herself wishing for the goblin king to take away the the baby and we get the flash cuts to a whole screen full of goblins talking and telling her all you gotta do is say the words come on say the words and <laughs> it was just beautiful it was like wow i was just so brought it ro- roped into it right away well it's, it's bringing you right into that muppet mm-hmm. world yeah because i mean yeah because yeah, it's there there's clearly a muppet aesthetic to mm-hmm. the character to the puppets and characters but also one that's not not as distinct as the muppets it's not still not the same style as the muppets sure which is what I love getting into it more and more because the Muppets have very much a streamlined kind of iconic aesthetic to them. They're mm-hmm. simple, they're simple designs to really make the character stand out and make them that, that iconic sort of design. If you go to like comic books and you go to, I look at old Mike Parabek's style. It's like very uh-huh. simple, very simple cartooning, but extremely effective. Or more recently, it's like Chris Samney. If you've seen some of his things, it's like it's he's he's not he doesn't do the details, but boy, his stuff is emotionally and beautifully drawn. But then you go and look at someone who's much more of a detail person, and that's what the pu- the puppets in Labyrinth are like. There's so much yes. detail kind of care. Okay, let me stop you one second because I want to before we go into some of the real highs and lows. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you've thought about your expectations. Mm-hmm. You had expectations going into this film because you'd heard about it. Did it meet those expectations for you? Right. And I'd seen trailers back in the day mm-hmm. about what the movie was like. Oh, yeah. It totally met my expectations. Because I was, ex- you know, you're thinking Wizard of Oz. You're thinking Alice in Wonderland. It's you're, <laughs> That's kind of adventure you're thinking this is going to be set up for. And that's exactly what it was. Yes. You get the a, fan, a fantastical world, which actually, in a lot of ways, was beyond my expectations of what it would be. Because the Jim Henson Studios really just knocked it out of the park of creating this labyrinth, the characters within, and the set designs that everything was based on. And they just made it so... It's not realistic, but real. Yes. It places you in this fantasy realm with the expectation of, this is based upon a teenage girl's fantasy. And Mm -hmm. so, is it real? Is it not real? Nah. I mean, we got <laughs> wait, David wait, Bowie. Wait. We we got David Bowie singing as he turns into and out of a, an owl. I mean, come on. You know, reality has taken a leap off the side. Plus, we are surrounded by Muppets. So, you know, take that as you will. We are in the impression that Muppets are real. You see these things; they are mm-hmm. real in this fantasy world. It's not like, hey, I'm talking to a puppet. No, you think that these are actual flesh and blood beings, and not, you know, styrofoam and and fur. <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah. So you've got that fantasy realm going on here, and so you, you, you're in that mask. Within that mask, 
everything does feel real. Everything, it's a construct that she has made around her and she is believing wholeheartedly in. I'm glad that it, that, that it met your expectations. I thought mm-hmm. that this would be up your alley. I thought that you would enjoy it immensely. You, you were right, sir. <laughs> <laughs> let's really get into it and let's really talk about those hot top hits and low blows of the film. What are some of the highs? What are some of the lows that you had? Go ahead, you start us off. What is your biggest high of high when you got done and thought about the entire film? The, the character designs were just you know, fantastic. You know, they all uh-huh. kind of speak to you. They all have a, they, and each character is their own character. It's, I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange the story or the acting, but you know, a lot of this is just a showcase of Jim Henson Studios craftsmanship in a time before we had CGI to just do all these things that uh, defy expectations, that defy reality. Because I'm watching it with, with one of my daughters and she was all in. I mean, she's 15, barely sits through live action movies she you know she she's my kid she loves cartoons and the animated stuff so she's all in on that and i asked her like one point so what do you think about the fact that you know these are all practical effects and things and she's like oh it's awesome so you know it it, it holds up you know the the effects and the craftsmanship really hold up there's so much humor hidden in the story and just like one of the characters hoggle interesting little name drop they call him Hogwart a few times. Yes, a little Got interest, that too. interesting name drop there, because this is, of course, long before long. that that yeah. that name becomes famous. So that was fascinating to see. The characters are so fun. You know, it, there's so much parallels with with what, which might what Dorothy ran into in Oz and yep. beating the characters there, and she makes her little little. Con- uh, enclave of friends that come together and they help her through troubles and stuff like that and like the fact that Hoggle is like torn between looking out for himself and helping Sarah it really is torn about it in, in a believable way it's like yeah you really were starting to identify with this guy even though he like he first off he's a jerk right <laughs> he just it comes off as a complete jerk most of the time but when she really needs help he doesn't even think about it and tries to go help her He's a fascinating character. It was great to see that kind of complex character in such a, in this kind of, it's weird to not expecting to see a complex character in a movie like this. I think you're right. I, I know that afterwards I was talking to my wife and my daughter about the movie and about the characters and the characterization. And I think, I think we came off with uh, that the nicest person, the best person in the entire movie is Ludo. Mm, that was yes. the, uh, that was our, our final uh, result is that Ludo is the best person in the movie because he's the only one that does anything completely selflessly. There's nothing else mm-hmm. in that's that's really in his way from just being a nice and friendly person. Uh, Sarah, the teenager, is pretty horrible. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, which is the point of the movie. This is her growth. This is her arc. So yeah, yeah. But even even at the end, though, it's like, d- does she really learn anything be- besides memorizing lines? Um, well, that could be debated. Uh, <laughs> but, I, I, I would I would debate you on that, but not right this way. <laughs> well, right now, <laughs> um, uh, Sir Didymus, he is always going out for honor, and he is missing the point half the time. He is going headlong into danger, which is bad. We've already talked about Hoggle and how how he's got mm-hmm. his issues. A case could be made for Ambrosia, except that, you know, we, we only see only a little bit of what the dog is really going for. Right. But yeah, it, each character does, you know, have their own growth. An incredible parallel right with Wizard of Oz. In fact, they go by, flash by some books at the beginning, and you can actually tell mm-hmm. what the story is cobbled together from, like you said, Wizard of Oz and, and Alice in Wonderland and a few other stories that are thrown in there for good measure. Well, I do want to put, I do want to point out Ludo, because I just love his character. I love his characterization. He's really like a gigantic sloth. And 
fact that in the very first scene we see him, he has got that tree sloth hang going on as he's being attacked by those little uh, soldiers with their bizarre angry fetus baby staffs biting him. It's, this is... I was going to call them, I was going to call them piranhas on spikes, but you know, <laughs> you be you, I guess, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. And, and, and he's just like, oh, he's got the, sl- he's, he's just a, he's wonderful characterization of a sloth, but he's also like, yeah, he's the, he befriends Sarah and helps her along the way. In addition to being an earthbender, we like that part. Yes. You know, he yes. talks, cause he, and he talks to rocks. And it took me a little while to realize that, you know, Sarah throws little rocks to help get him free and realize after the fact, oh, wait, Ludo made those rocks roll towards her in the first place. Or another way to think about it, the rocks went to help his friend. And they're like, we can't mm-hmm. throw ourselves, but we can come to her and we can be available for her to throw and save our friend because Ludo is friends with rocks. And I can't decide <laughs> and I can't decide if um the if the rocks in the labyrinth world are also rock trolls from Frozen or not. I don't really th- I I kind of mm-hmm. waffle on that one. I, no, I don't really think I, I so. Don't think so. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. I don't think so. I think I think that they're just intelligent things that that mm-hmm. they want to protect their friend. <laughs> yeah. But so yeah, he's that character was just delightful and Sir Didymus was a great over the top flamboyant heroic character who just volstags his way through things and can't <laughs> just with but volstag if you imagine just a tiny little anthropomorphic dog riding on top of a dog riding on top of a dog which no mean feat that <laughs> it goes completely in line with the goofy pluto conundrum that will will never be solved in our lifetimes um <laughs> But yeah, he was a he's a wonderful little uh, additional flair for the group along the way. Let me ask you this, because one of the big top hits for me in this film is the music. I mean, mm. you are starring mm-hmm. David Bowie. This is a David Bowie music video on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, or, or I, I should maybe say on LSD would be a more correct appropriation. I mm-hmm. would say. The big song for me personally is Dance, Baby, Dance, or mm-hmm. uh, Dance, Magic, Dance. I, I love that song. I, I, I love how mm. that song plays in the movie. I like how it really ties together with him interacting with all the goblins and kicking them around. And mm-hmm. there was one part that just killed my wife uh, in the middle of the song. He's sitting there with the baby and he's kind of dancing with the baby and he just throws it up in the air and he walks away. And one of the yep. obl- other goblins runs over and catches it. And it's, you know, really a dummy but it's such a off the cuff move it's like wait did, did i just see that <laughs> <laughs> oh he yeah just throws it right up in the air and wa- and just nonchalantly walks away and the other goblin goes diving after the baby to catch it well you remember me mentioning the the synthesizers before it's like yes. that's that's david bowie at that point all the way yeah it was just a joy what he was with the songs he was singing it's like all of a sudden becomes a musical and yes. again what wizard of oz the movie mm-hmm. more than the book you know, it was, a, it was a great thing to see. And um, for some reason, I was like, <sighs> I was trying to remember if I've heard the songs myself on the radio much. I don't really think as much when I was at that time. But it still, was, mm-hmm. they were they were great to hear. Another musical number that was not David Bowie singing was like the one where Sarah is surrounded by like the orange, angry birds that, yeah. <laughs> with, that can take off their own heads. And that yes. sequence was, was bizarre, but... Just also hilarious. Uh, yes. So that, that was a great that was a great scene. Yeah, that scene is probably one of it's interesting. It might hit on more of my low end because it almost doesn't fit 
It almost mm. doesn't fit with the film for some reason. Like you said, it's the only song that's not sung by David Bowie. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it almost feels like, well, why are we here then? I mean, really, everything else is David Bowie. It should everything be David mm-hmm. Bowie songs. And yes, she did do some weird and crazy things, but that just seemed a little too crazy, a little too weird, and I wasn't quite sure what the point of it mm. all was. Whereas everything else, all the other interactions she had were very mm-hmm. poignant to the story or poignant to her travels in the labyrinth that she is caught in, including things like the helping hands and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see what you're talking about. I, I, but I also kind of like took it as a vibe of... Uh, if you if I when I think of the Jungle Book, yes, and you know there's like one the one scene when he when Mowgli is with the orangutans and that scene there that scene really doesn't further the narrative with Shere Khan or anything like that, but it's uh, it's a different obstacle just to make just to mix things up. It introduces the concept of making of fire and Manka making hmm. fire, okay. which is very well that's true. very yep. important. Yes. Okay, All so. Right. Ha! I just rewatched Jungle Book not too oh, long ago okay. with my family, so... Oh, well, that'll teach me. Well, that'll teach you. <laughs> Lucky me, I had. <laughs> this movie has a lot of different set pieces that are mm-hmm. all tied into the giant set piece of the labyrinth. The name of the film is this labyrinth, and the craziness of it. I mean, we get the lab- the idea of a labyrinth. It's a maze that theoretically can't be solved. And so mm-hmm. you have this this maze that has strange things in it, optical illusions and a lot of those kinds of things and the optical illusions that are exist within the movie and especially the labyrinth are something that's i think is one of the higher marks of the film because they do a lot of different things with it right at the beginning she gets into the labyrinth and she's looking for the entrance and she meets one of my little favorite side characters the the worm hello yeah, the did worm is hello? wonderful <laughs> no i hello, said dear. did you say did you say hello no i said hello close enough <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a tiny worm telling her to come inside. Yeah, uh, but he points out to her that, oh, yeah, you're right across from an entrance. And she can't see it until she walks forward. And it's an interesting optical illusion where it looks like it's a wall until she walks into the wall and realizes, no, it's just a camouflaged. Mm-hmm. It's camouflaged so perfectly that you can't see the depth perception. Um, you have a lot of instances with David Bowie and u- utilizing the the crystal balls in his hands and the illusion of that, which little fun trivia that I saw on it. It actually was somebody else that was working on the film who actually was a master juggler. And he just mm. had his arms stuck through David Bowie's arms. Oh. And he was doing it. So... Think about this. All of the things that you were seeing, those were practical effects that was being done by somebody who couldn't see what he was doing, yeah. which is even more impressive. <laughs> yeah. And I think my, my you just blew my mind. I think it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I read that. I read that. I was going, oh, are you kidding me? And then, then I kind of watched it. I was going, yeah, I can kind of see it, but that makes it even more impressive. <laughs> yes. Furthering the whole fact of things aren't what they appear, even right. in even how they made the movie. Yes. What? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think that Jim Henson went well beyond and above what you would normally expect from mm. him in this kind of a film. And this was, unfortunately, his last film before he passed away. So, I mean, yeah. that that's the sad part about it as well. Is there anything else that, you, that really stuck, stood out for you for this film? We had the big battle scene in the little village. And like they're shooting cannonballs, and the cannonballs have little people in them. We're like, the ah, cannonballs let me are make little characters. Let me at her. Yeah. Let me at her. And it's, uh, with little arms and legs sticking out of the side of the cannonball. And that was just it's 
everything's a, every, every, nothing. You can't take anything for granted about what you see in this. There's so much to see. There's so many things to look at in this in this movie. There's a lot of things in the background that are hidden, and I, I just just remembered one other thing talking about the illusion of everything. I, I can't believe I forgot to mention it, but one of the other little set pieces right at the end of the film, they do the entire final scene in an MC Escher painting. Of, yes, they do. Of, the, of going up and down the staircases, that, that mm-hmm. famous painting with all the staircases all crossing and going different directions. They do the entire final scene in that. And they have the baby hidden in there and Sarah's going, trying to catch the baby and David Bowie's walking on the different angles and, you know, swinging up to see her. He's changing his gravity 90 degrees or more yeah. as he walks around in this in these staircases. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. I don't want to end on low th- on low things, so I'll, I'll, I'll cover those now. Get those kind of okay. out of the way. Because I love this movie so much. Sure, sure, sure. Where the parents' characters were really frustrating to deal with. And, but they were, that was kind of like the point, was them to be kind of uninterested and not really help deal yeah. with Sarah directly. That was just like, ugh, didn't, didn't like that much at all. Some of the acting from from Jennifer Connelly was a little stilted, you know. Yeah. It did, but that's that was you know that was still kind of youth, and it's like just like the the audience they were shooting for that was not really the point, right? But she did a good job overall. I mean, they're just yeah. but there was just like you know if I was really like that, it's like uh, some of it felt a little it felt uh, it didn't quite feel as natural but also that might be a part of her doing a good job of of kind of making sure the characters stayed somewhat unlikable because yeah. you know she's not you know she's still sort of a, a brat you know she does get that she does get that turn as she goes along and, and we can start to see her going going along her her pivot point is when she when she's the one who tells you know hoggle when hoggle complains well that's not fair it's like well no it's not that's <laughs> so that's an interesting turn I will agree with you on that, that I think that probably one of the, the, the harder or one of the lower marks of the film probably is the acting by Jennifer Connelly, which is, mm. it's it's tough. It's really her and David Bowie. They're the only actors, physical actors you see in the film. The rest of it's voice acting and acting by the puppets. And so you have Jennifer Connelly going up, a teenage girl going against a rock god of David Bowie. Yeah. You got to be coming in with something amazing in order to go toe to toe on that. So she kind of gets lost in a lot of the other things that are going on, which I think is fine because it really showcases the rest of the film. Mm-hmm. And she is serviceable enough to move the action pieces to the next, to the next, to the next. Right. I think I would go on to say, too, that the plot of the film is held together by some bubblegum. Yeah. <laughs> you, 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 you kind of get dropped right into this. You have this girl mm-hmm. who likes to say these lines. She's mad at her parents and she wishes her brother was gone. And we are in Muppet land. Mm-hmm. Okay, we are here. You know, how do we get here? Not quite sure, but we're here. We're going to have fun. So it, it's a very, very thin, thin plot. It, it really is, is leaning on the fact that you've seen Wizard of Oz. You've seen... Uh, yeah. uh, Alice in Wonderland. Okay, you're good to go. Don't worry about yeah. it. Don't worry about just, it. Just they roll are with just it. here. Just they're they're just it. here. Just roll with it. It probably suffers a little bit from that. But once you get by that, and once you just immerse yourself into the setting itself, I think that's where the film stretches its legs. Because we've talked about it already. We've talked mm-hmm. about the high pieces of the the characters, the set design, the Muppets, the 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 actual puppetry that went into it. Those are the things that this film really sells itself on. The only other things I was going to say on that negative are just two other things. One is that while I liked the song and the scene with the with the ballroom, I did not really like, or it doesn't really age well with me, the vibe of grown-up David Bowie, sort of, kind of, romancing teenage Jennifer Connelly. I, that, that was a little 
icky. Little icky. Little icky. Yeah, yeah, you have to really remember that the fantasy element of it all, mm-hmm. that this is just a teenage girl's little romance, and then it's, it's kind of like... her fantasy is yeah, what it it's kinda, her fantasy. Not, it's not, it's not uh, David Bowie's or the yeah. Goblin King's fantasy. It's really it, her it's, fantasy. It's her fantasy. Yeah, and at the same time, it's also... It, it still leaves you with the feeling that it's very chaste, too. Mm. I mean, it's like there, there's there's a love yeah, and everything yeah. like. I would but buy it's, that. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a, it's that old school fantasy chaste. So it's it walks this very thin tightrope between what are we talking about here and a yeah. all right. Yeah, I yeah. I would agree with that too. I would agree with that too. So the, the and the last thing is just the fact that while I love the the name the bog of eternal stench. I I did get a little tired of it basically being a way to make fart jokes in the movie <laughs> because the bog is basically farting the whole time. So remember, like, remember, this is this is for the kids. This is for the kids. I and, and, oh, and, I, and, I I know. And, and you want to get the boys in to see this? We're gonna have some fart jokes in here. It'll be all fine. It's it's yeah. It's yeah. all right. I know. I know. Don't don't. I, that's it's part like the part <laughs> of the whole thing is that you know if we're it's a flip side. Like really to you know, there's the verisimilitude and accepting the movie and going with it. And then it's like, well, what didn't you like? Well. Well, <laughs> I'm going. You're going to ask me to think about it. I'm going to think that. That's no. I but I see what you're. I see. I agree with you on that too. I, it just ran a little. It's it ran a little long. Of, it just ran a little yeah, long. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I would say so. It's like it smell bad. I love Ludo in that entire scene. Just him, smell bad. If she kisses you, Hoggle, I'll make you a prince. A prince <laughs> of the bog of eternal stench. <laughs> so it's like, uh, please wait me pass. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Last scene. Because it's like, there we are back in her bedroom after, and Toby's home asleep, and she's just like talking. And she's at her mirror, and my eyesight's not what it used to be. <laughs> so sitting far away from the TV, I can't see things as well. as like, But all of a sudden, I had to hit pause, jump out of my chair, run up to the TV, point, and say to my daughter, what is that? And... It's that it's a blue statue that looks just like David Bowie's character. Uh-huh. And she was like, jaw hit the floor. <laughs> and then we pan out and see her room and then there's the Escher poster on the wall. There's yep. dolls that look like the characters from the movie. It's like oh we just, it was a perfect ending. And they pass over all of the books too at one at certain points, mm-hmm. showing that this is all part of the, the all part of the world. So you are left with the ideas, is this in her head or is this Something that really happened. Mm-hmm. But once it goes back Ooh. into that fantasy, who knows? I think I think that we've talked about this movie pretty well. I think that we're ready to rate this film. I'm going to ask you. I know you don't like rating things, but guess what? I'm going to force you to I rate know things. You're, I this know you're is going to. One to five. One to five bags of popcorn. How many full bags of popcorn would you give this film? Because I don't follow rules, I'm still going to give a different kind of answer. If you can get into the periodness of the film, knowing that it's an 80s film, and what you're yes. expecting of it and have a great appreciation for the craftsmanship of the Muppets studios and things they have like that. I give it a five. Yeah. Uh, for a casual viewer who just might not, I would still give it a four. Mm-hmm. I think it still get a four because it is a solid, entertaining movie. You don't have to think about it too much. You just right. go in for the ride, but it gives you an arc from beginning to end. Interesting yep. characters along the way. And the ending is extremely satisfying, and the music is great. The designs of the characters are great. I'd 
you know, there's just, I mean, and my daughter, like I said, who's just not up, this is not usually in her, in her wheelhouse. Because she hasn't really watched the Muppets. She hasn't gotten to the right. Muppets either. That's a little bit overlap for her. And she was just loving it. And she's just watching all along the way. And she's like, oh, did you see what they just did? And when they do all these little <laughs> visual things, like changing the, like she's drawing arrows and she's hi- and they hide the arrow on yep, her yep, yep, yep. or turn the direction on it. And she was catching little things like, oh, the baby stopped. The baby, I don't hear the baby crying. As I, <laughs> she was, she was in it all the way. So that Rome spoke on. So I get yeah, four. Mm-hmm. But if you really can get into it, if you can really just ex- ex- also get into the, the period that this was made in, five. I would agree with your take on that. Well, that's all we've got for this month on the monthly Monday Movie Muckabout. But before I leave, before we leave the attic up here in the LBC studios, Tim, please plug and tell us where else we can find you on these wonderful internets. Oh, sure. I'm, all, I'm, I'm on the intertubes. The best place to find me is on Twitter at TimPrice17. Um, I'm also the regular co-host on the Batgirl Cassandra Kane podcast from the Right On Network with Ashford Wright. Uh, you can find that at thehunterspodcast.com because the podcast shares a feed with the Hunters podcast thus the other name thank you very much and as always you can find me on twitter at jeff rick present also unpacking the power of power pack that is the other show that i do with my fellow co-host who is also a goblin muppet who knew (laughs) and uh, we talk about power pack and we do that twice a month please come over and join us we're a kick I would also like to say once again, thank you very much to the Longbox Crusade Network for letting me use their attic and also to Omaha Bound, who is a wonderful partner for this podcast network. Beyond that, all I have to say is grab the popcorn and pull up a seat for our next episode next month. Talk to you then. Our theme music is The Entertainer by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution for Colonial License. I, I knew many fellow college students who had that print in their college dorm room because, of course, they sold them right at, at uh, when people would move into their dorms. On I, I thought that, that that was just kind of that you had a choice between like that, um, a Sarah McLaughlin poster, <laughs> um, the 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 one with like you know some little one with a with a kitten on it. You know, you had like about five or six posters, and you had to take one and you had to put it up on your wall. Oh, I was like, yeah, my, my college didn't make us have to do that. And then, of course, my junior year, I had a I had a poster of Jessica Rabbit on my wall. So I was really breaking the mold by then. Of course you did, sir. Of yes. course you did. <laughs> yes, of course I did. <laughs> and on that awkward note, yes. let's do one last round. 